the simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Lynn Carson with a PhD in grain sciences. Sharing knowledge and helping you grow connections. Listening to the Baked in Science podcast. Welcome to Baked in Science. Today, I will be interviewing the finalists for the Baking Tech Product Development Competition. I wanted to learn about their products and how they beat out a dozen other teams to become finalists in this competition. There is a commonality to their success, so listen carefully. Hi, I'm Lynn Carson, your host and CEO of Bakerpedia. What is Bakerpedia? It's the world's largest online depository of technical baking information. Come, come online at bakerpedia.com so that we can help you answer your technical baking questions today. And here are the teams. We have the team from University of Wisconsin Medicine, and they are going to be discussing about Sobasoy. Eric, what is Sobasoy? Sobasoy is a buckwheat-based flatbread with scallion and ginger inclusions served alongside a soy-based dipping sauce. Sounds delicious. So, um, Eric, tell me a little bit more about yourself. And we have Eric, Neve, Sarah, and Anna. So I'll go around. Um, let's start with you, Eric. Yeah. Um, so I'm a senior in food science at, at the UW. I've been interested in uh, food science since I heard wind of it when I when I transferred in. I'm actually currently a fifth year in it, coming from a different UW school. Oh, okay. Um, I really enjoy fermented foods and beverages. I've been working in wineries and, uh, and in industrial fermentations in the past and uh, currently getting a little bit more interested in brewing and, and now baking, thanks to baking. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, are you graduating this year then? I'm graduating awesome. in May, yes. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Neve, tell us a little bit more about yourself. My name is actually Nev, but it's It's okay. okay. Sorry, mistake. I I called her Neve the first day I met her. A lot of people do, it's fine. I'm a freshman at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and I decided on food science because I was leaning more towards baking and pastry arts in food science, and it just seemed like a better fit, and it was closer to home since I'm born in Wisconsin. And right now, I'm involved in a lab actually studying the hydration of cocoa powder in brownies. Nice. That's interesting. Sarah? Hi, yes. Um, So I'm a senior in food science at UW-Madison and really excited to be graduating in May. (laughs) Um, I found food science actually um, through, I have a culinary background and worked as a chef for many years and really wanted to just kind of have a career that was a little more stable and something that I could uh, create more products with. So It's fun. It's fun and it's a stable industry. Yeah. So Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Every, everyone's got to eat. So right. I think, you know, it's nice that there are so many opportunities either in product development or in quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so really excited about what the future holds. Great. Anna. Um, like Sarah, I also got my interest in food science through... Mine was a pastry background. I ended up going to culinary school for pastry arts, finished my degree, realized as I was there, I'm like, I want science. Where's my science? So I was missing that, and I had a chef mentor that introduced me to food science because his wife was a food scientist. So Okay. Yeah. Great. So very diverse. How did you guys meet? <laughs> uh, well, 
Uh, Sarah and I are obviously in the same graduating class, right? so we've had classes together for the last three or so years. So you, like, Sarah, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> and then Sarah's like, let's do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so at um, UW, we actually, our um, product development teams are through the Food Science Club. And so Anna and Eric and I have all been involved with the Food Science Club. We're getting Nev in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, we just, we wanted to follow in the footsteps of the UW winners last year. Mm -hmm. I so, know. You, know? you guys are like making them proud. Yeah. You know? <laughs> We're to yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just like a methodology to this craziness, and you guys, I think your your program got it. Yeah. Um, so, whose idea is it to create soba soy? I mean, Sarah had the initial thoughts. She was, I think, just craving uh, ginger and, and, and <laughs> green onions that day. Um, <laughs> But so I mean, that, that's your origin story. <laughs> You're sticking to the origin story. Okay. Yeah, no, it really, really is. And then, and then, uh, I just wanted to to take it a little bit further. I'd been interested in in Japanese and Chinese cuisines for a bit. I mean, I can't make too much of it, but I, uh, you know, I, I like I like seeing it and reading about it. And soba noodles just kind of stuck out because they are made with buckwheat. So. Right. So why buckwheat? Have you tried any other grains? Is it just because mm. you just want to do soba? Yeah, um, we did try some quinoa flour as well and oat, it was oat flour, yeah. oat flour um, but because we wanted to really replicate those soba noodles, we felt that buckwheat was the best way to go. Mm -hmm. So how do you make this particular flatbread? Okay, so our flatbread is a straight dough method. Everything is mixed together. The only thing that is not mixed initially is the ginger and the scallions. Mm -hmm. So that is added. We have a about a one hour rising period and then we knead in the ginger and the scallions and that was really done because we were concerned a lot with the moisture of our bread if like if we added because we we're doing this by a mechanical mixer as well it's like well that's really going to crush up the scallions it's probably going to make the product or the dough very is this different. a yeast product yes there okay. is yeast in this so, so it's not a chemical leavening it's not chemical okay. leavening. yeah that's why you don't want to add in the scallions yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. also the yeast in our product is really just kind of for the flavor, not really for any mm -hmm. rise, since it is a flatbread and we're also docking it um, before we're baking it as well. Oh, so just for the flavor. Really mm -hmm. yes. interesting. Primarily. We did try uh, chemical leavening with a couple of our iterations, but they just did not replicate the same kind of flavor and, and desirable texture that we wanted. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. What is the most challenging thing that you experience working with this product? We struggled a little in the beginning as far as getting the ratio right for the flowers um, so that our flatbread would result in you know being pliable but still have some structure so that you could dip it into the sauce. So I think just getting the formulation um, just to that gold standard that we were looking for. Go ahead. And, and also speaking to, well, despite the fact that Anna has a, a bakery background, mm -hmm. none of our classes are specifically centered around baking and dough. And so we're also learning the process of how do you conduct science of bread and baking. So it's a little bit of a, a right. challenge, just a barrier. Right, with any of the systems, yeah. it's just so easy to like stir fry things together and not need to have a background exactly. in, yeah. exactly. in dough development. Yeah, like for my background, it's like, yeah, I just made bread, but it was never for something to make shelf stable. So it's just like, well, how do we do that? I'm like, I can make a flatbread, but it's not going to last a month. It's going to last like three days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. that's true. Now you have an interesting packaging idea. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Sure. So the package prototype that we uh, have developed is a triangular 
LDPE blow molded shell that has two separate compartments, one larger than the other, mm -hmm. so that the flatbread will sit in the large compartment, the sauce in the smaller one, and then all of that covered with a polyethylene film that is heat shrinked on. Primarily the purpose of this package design is to prevent any movement of moisture between both of the components of the product because the, the water content of the sauce is much higher than the bread. We don't want it making it soggy and we also don't want any environmental moisture coming in through the film. What is the expected shelf life of this product? Expected shelf life is four weeks, but we we do need to perform a little bit more testing with it. Right. And, uh, and and the biggest issue, I believe, is the, is the staling? Primarily the okay. staling, yes. There's uh, mold is inhibited through uh, potassium sorbate addition, right. which we were primarily doing simply because we don't have the ability to perform any modified atmosphere packaging in our mm -hmm. test kitchen. So potassium sorbate, is is kind of the catch right now. If we can take it out, you know, that's better, clean label. That's true, that's true. What are you guys excited about this product? Which aspect <laughs> of it? Um, I'm really excited that it's um, not just a blank flatbread, that there's flavor infused into it, that I think it doesn't need the sauce, but it really, you know, adds an additional layer of flavor to it, but it can be enjoyed just by itself because it does have the ginger and scallions um, inclusions in it. Is it ready now for commercialization, or what do you think has to be done for it to be commercialized? It's currently not ready, I would say. We still need a couple of more iterations, perhaps a tweak to formulation, uh, although we feel that that's pretty well developed right now. But um, we definitely need to do some sensory and shelf life testing before we can fully introduce it as a product. Great. Now let's take a few steps back and look at this competition mm -hmm. sure. from a bird's eye point of view. <laughs> what did it really teach you? Or did you learn anything from it? <laughs> or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I'll speak first. As team captain, this is my first time captaining a product development team. And I think it definitely taught me that I need to be a little bit more on the ball for everything. And leading and managing is in itself a skill that uh, definitely needs to be practiced and developed. So That's true. Did you guys have anything else to add? Uh, sure. This competition was actually really fun for me because I got to meet everyone. I didn't know them the first day, really. Yeah. So now they're like some pretty cool people now. <laughs> right. And then you're like, yeah, you know, it's just, I, can, I can do this. I know a lot about their lives now. <laughs> exactly. It brings out the best and the worst in people <laughs> when you start working on projects like that. So is there anything else you want to share with this competition? the journey? I guess for a lot of us, since we've never gone to a baking conference before, and our school really doesn't have a big focus on baking as we've like talked to other universities around and other people's experiences, it's kind of like, whoa, this is like a whole, like, just kind of when we were thinking about a product once we got here and being in like the marketplace, like, there's a lot of more things we could have thought of and like, why didn't we do this? So it's kind of like seeing the whole perspective and just giving us a whole new experience on baking. One last question. How did you hear of this competition? Through the former students that had um, applied and had oh. been finalists last year. So. Okay. Did they share any secrets to winning? Yes, yes. <laughs> they were quite instrumental in, in oh. helping us. They never, you know, like made the presentation, but, you know, shared a couple of tips about what to expect for being here and uh, how we should go about perhaps looking as a team. And That really and helps. Yeah, yeah, they shared just a couple of things that we weren't going to be able to get from the, uh, from the information committee. in the packet. All right, yeah. great.
Thank you. Thank you for joining me and thank you for coming to ASB and participating in this product development competition. Oh, thank, thank, you. thank you. And here we have Sarah and Connie from Purdue University with their Lost Grain Gluten-Free Pita Pockets. That's an amazing product, ladies. You know, I was uh, trying to texture yesterday, very cohesive, very resilient, great taste to it. So can you tell our listeners, what is it? So we made a gluten-free pita pocket from three ancient grains and four whole grains. Of course, it's gluten-free, as you said. We use pearl millet and finger millet and sorghum as the ancient grains, which make up a little over 20% in our dry ingredients. And really our technical challenge that we were able to overcome was the pocket formation in this gluten-free pita pocket. Look to me like you guys got it into an exact science. Can you tell us how you did that? So we explored into the category first, why do you want to go to gluten-free? So right. first of all, we have market potential and we have customers that are interested. But the problem with the gluten-free products are that it's really dry or crumbly. So yeah. to overcome that, we have to go back to our books and science. Um, all four of us have great background in carbohydrate chemistry. So that really helped us to really go into the microstructure and see what would mimic the properties of gluten in a baked product. So from there, with a lot of um, researching, we were able to put a formulation together that was able to give us the elastic, cohesive gluten-free pita pockets. Right. So. A lot of people don't really understand that of all the baked goods out there, gluten-free baked goods are pure food science, you know, because you are replacing original gluten content, you know, with multiple ingredients that exhibit elasticity, extensibility, and resilience. What is the biggest challenge in terms of finding the right combination, you know, in terms of ingredients? Who came up with the idea? It really was a collaboration of all four members of our team to come up with the idea for a pita pocket. It really evolved initially. We were making a cumin and pumpkin flavored um, flatbread that was kind of non-textured and it had uh, some chickpea flour in it. But we decided that we wanted to make it more technically challenging and resemble something that would be more familiar to consumers. So a pita pocket was a good way to, to go. And one of the biggest challenges with gluten-free is definitely starch retrogradation. And you guys did mention something that you did some work in that. What did you do to overcome that hurdle? There were a lot of, uh, it's not just ingredients, but processing and storage that helped us overcome the starch retrogradation. So we have an emulsion, oil and water emulsion, and that provides some softness. And then we also have uh, so it's not just the oil, it's also the emulsifier as a protein, and we added also non-fat dry milk powder. And the proteins and oils, they interfere with the structural molecular retrogradation, which is staling. So that, on a molecular level, right, we know how staling occurs, so we can sort of reverse engineer it and prevent it in that way to some extent. Okay. Tell our audience a little bit more about yourselves and what are you majoring in? Which year are you? I'm a first-year PhD uh, with the Department of Food Science. Connie. Connie, yes. <laughs> um, 
So my major focus is food engineering. I particularly work on developing innovative technology to predict shelf life of food products. Oh, that's so neat. Sarah, what do you do? So I am in the third year of my PhD program, and uh, I study slow digestible carbohydrates. So what is it at a molecular level that make the carbohydrates slow digesting? Not which grains, but structurally the molecular size and which type of linkage between the glucose molecules and the structure also branching or linear that make it slow digesting. So really more on the nutrition side, but my passion is in R&D and product development. Right, so just to make it a little more digestible for our listeners, can you emphasize a little bit more about slow digestion? It's a new kind of uh, IC category in foods. What is a native product that is slow digesting? So starches that are slow digesting, basically what happens in your body, the properties are that they don't allow your body to digest them very quickly, so there's no glucose released into your system very quickly. So it's a glycemic index concept, right? White bread and like sugar and donuts, those are all high glycemic index foods. They cause a spike in your blood glucose. So I'm focused on finding out what on a molecular level like... um, I'm not actually focused on actual foods. It's it's really individual molecules of starch, so not, not wheat versus corn. It's really individual molecules that I'm examining because once we have identified which molecular properties, we can back up and look at all of the foods that we eat to determine what would be slow digesting. And the benefit of slow digesting is that you don't have a, a high blood sugar and then you don't have the low blood sugar crash afterwards Um, so that's good for everybody but especially for diabetics Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's another benefit is that with this you don't have the high and the low blood sugars it also is a slow release of glucose so you can provide some uh, longer fullness and longer feelings of, of fullness after a meal with with that in it that's true now you have two other teammates that are not here can you tell their stories, how one of them, you know, came up with this idea? So, yeah, I think we all came up with the idea together. <laughs> oh, uh, um, yeah, I, I heard she has a gluten intolerance. Yeah, so Rachel right. Jackson is on our team, and she has a gluten intolerance, so she's been making gluten-free foods. She actually has a blog on just gluten-free baked goods. So, yeah, she's been gluten intolerant for 10 years, and so she has sort of a, an instinct as to, oh, this, this is too dough-like it'll be too dry in a finished product or it's not sticky enough or it's too sticky, that kind of uh, sort of natural instinct from working with gluten-free baked goods for so long. Great. So can you take a quick process flowchart, you know, journey, take us on that journey to how you make your product? So the process really starts with first, we have the wet and dry ingredients separate. So the wet ingredient is forming the emulsion, the oil and water emulsion that Sarah was talking about earlier. And then we blend that into the dry ingredients that we have. And really the starch hydration at that part is the key because this gluten-free formulations are heavily on starch. It takes a lot of time. So we really have to make sure that the hydration happens properly. Then the batter, we're not going to call it dough because it's really a muffin batter consistency. It's let to proof for about 30 minutes, and this is the important part for the pocket formation. 
So once we have enough proofing, then it goes through some sort of uh, shaping uh, process where we apply some water to shape it because this batter is really sticky. And it goes through the oven, baked at certain temperature and time, and it comes out. And uh, this product is going to be kept frozen until ready to use, so it has to be cooled and uh, freezed right away. Being students, is this the first time you're being exposed to the baking industry? The first time you're here? <laughs> so for Sarah and I, this is the second time. All right. We entered the competition last year with another team member. Last year was on sweet, good baked products, leavened with some sort of uh, leavening agent. Uh, we created a cookie sandwich called Turkish Cardamom Crunch, and we placed third on the competition. Nice. So that was an inspiration to keep going. And yeah, we, this year you got second. <laughs> this Next year, year you get first. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hope. <laughs> so we we're lucky to have each other as teammates and work together. It, it was really fun process to this be honest. This is part of a class in your school, or can you get extra credit for this? No, no. Oh, man. <laughs> you can go back and get extra credit. No, no extra credit, especially oh. not as a PhD student. It's That's it's true. additional on top of our research. Right, so. right. But it's for fun. So you know, take a step back and look at this whole process. What did you guys learn from it? Definitely any team project is learning team dynamics and how to work with other people and different personality types. So that's always a continuous learning process that will probably be for the rest of our lives. From this, I really took away a lot of gluten-free uh, tech, like baking techniques uh, just specific to this product. Um, it was really sort of insightful into those. We did a lot of research around the viscosity and the viscoelasticity of the ingredients and their application and different leaveners and well do we want yeast just for flavor or also for leavening and which kind of baking powder and which hydrocolloids which gums do we want to use mm -hmm. so it was really really interesting and there was a lot of learning in that space great is this product ready for commercialization if it were to be commercialized we probably would want to add some uh, enzymes or something to allow it to have a softer texture for a little bit longer than right. the current uh, 12 hours after defrost. So right now it's kept frozen so if you want to take it out of the freezer and eat it for dinner you can but it's microwaved to defrost it. Microwave is the preferred method and it works perfectly so it could go to market however I think that there's definitely room for improvement but I think in any product there could always be room for improvement. Right, thank you. Well, thanks for coming and thanks for being with me. I love to see the process of you guys coming and winning, you know, and uh, good luck to you. Thank, thank you. you. Oh my God. I have here with me Colin and Dietrich from the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Welcome, guys. Hello, hi. Hi, thanks. Tell me a little bit about your product. What is it called and what is it made of? So our product is called Spinsa. It is a ready-to-bake pizza crust made with whole grain spelt. Spinsa comes from its composition of spelt, and it's based on a traditional Italian pizza called the Pinza Romana. Uh -huh. So Spinsa. Great. Who, who came up with this idea? Um, I'll be honest. So first off, there is a trend report from, I think, uh, 
I forget the exact name of the group, but it was a culinary trends report that discussed specifically pinza. There's an Italian company trying to make inroads into the market currently, but they're only selling flour. So we thought this was ripe to do something with. I had already been thinking about flatbread, which was under the parameters of the ASB product development competition this year. So I figured pizza, that's simple enough. Let's do that. And then the pinza came later as a very important selling point, being an on-market trend. So I just you know, made the pizza that I usually would make for myself, played around with different hydration levels and different grains to use, and went from there. So why spelt? Well, so basically what I did, I used to work at a co-op up in Greenfield, Massachusetts, and, you know, you've been to a bulk aisle maybe, but they'll have all sorts of different grains and formulations of grains, so I went through and grabbed anything that was considered an ancient grain, which is kind of a floating (laughs) definition, but I... I grabbed, I think, einkorn, millet, spelt, a number of things, and, you know, just laid them all out on the counter, meased out in a ton of stuff, and did different hydration levels and different formulations of, I think I started with something like 20%, and different hydration levels and different grains for each based on a standard pizza dough, and compared them. And some were, some were stone ground, so they had a slightly grittier texture. Some were ground a little finer, but were still whole grain. And went from there and just chose spelt because it's very similar to wheat. It's a hexaploid cousin of wheat. Has a similar flavor, but also a more flavor going on, not only because it's different, and it's also whole grain. So between that and cost affordability, given that it's about $1.30 per pound per ton and wheat is sitting around a dollar, yeah. that made sense to make a... Pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. What is the most challenging thing that you experience when working with spelt? Um, honestly, it wasn't super challenging um, because I think our technique, um, you know... Let's it's not sticky or, you know... High protein wheat flour, it sets up for you perfectly, honestly. Okay. You, it, there's enough gluten in that it, yes, the higher hydration doughs were right. stickier and harder to work with. Right. I, I think I tried a 90% at one point, and that was very sticky to work with. And I was trying to use as little flour as I could to manipulate it. But sticking with a little lower hydration, but still high hydration, I think 75%, that was the sweet spot. Honestly, it wasn't super challenging. I think playing with the exact ratio of ingredients, like initially I had far too much salt in there mm-hmm. to both act as a preservative and add flavor. Right. And we had to cut that down. I think that was a challenge. But the grain in itself was not super challenging given that we're doing the auto lease period, which helps initiate gluten formation, softens the bran by soaking it so the bran is not cutting into your gluten matrix. Right. So that was troubleshooting on its own if you will great now you have an interesting process because i took a bite of your spinza crust and pizza today it's got a really interesting and deep flavor to it what did you do to it everyone seems very impressed but i I just feel so what i did um the unique part about it is it undergoes the auto lease period where literally flour and water just sit together and I assume the folks of Wikipedia, people listening, know, but the auto lease period. Yes, if you want to know what auto lease is, go on to Wikipedia and you can find it. <laughs> yes, but that just jump starts the whole dough formation process. It breaks down starches into simple sugars and starts gluten formation. Right. So that sets the tone for a great fermentation time. And then after that, after bulk proofing for an hour and a half, it goes in the fridge for two and a half days. And by slowing down the yeast metabolism, it starts to create a lot of flavorful organic compounds that 
you wouldn't actually get in a make-it-and-bake-it the same day sort of bakery product. Interesting. What kind of shelf life would your customers expect out of this particular product? Yeah, we're hoping for the minimum of at least 21 days, but with modified packaging, we're, it could um, potentially be longer. Freezing will definitely make it last a lot yeah, longer, too. I've been more and more studies using sourdough to approximate preservatives like propionic acid, and that in tandem with modified atmosphere packaging is getting shelf life of 30, 30 plus days. So between a naturally low pH, the biopreservative effect of sourdough powder and modified atmosphere packaging, you know we still need to do the accelerated shelf life testing, but I feel confident about 30 plus days. What is the cost of this product? So to make our product, we've developed two formulations, one conventional grains and one with organic. And it's looking about 36 cents per unit on a conventional and about double that. Very nice. What is the suggested selling price on that? The, uh, for conventional, it was $5 and organic, $7. Right. And what yep. is the gross profit, estimated gross profit on this product? Well, we're, we have a value add of approximately 600% on the conventional version of the product. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's for the wholesale price of $250 for conventional and another dollar $350 for the organic version of the product. So while we still need to calculate the cost of distribution and warehousing, I think that we could expect the profit margin well over 100%, possibly 200%. If this product lands on someone's desk and they want to commercialize it, are all the ingredients available right now today to commercialize this product? Yes, definitely. I was a little concerned about finding a bulk supplier for sourdough. Um, I was originally using the King Arthur sourdough. I at one point tried to reverse engineer that uh, as their product is made with a little bit of sourdough. You mean like try to make your own sourdough? Yes. (laughs) Well, make my own sourdough powder. Yeah, Um, (laughs) that's tough. Well, they were using malt vinegar powder and citric acid and a little bit of sourdough flavor itself. Yeah. But there's a company who's actually here at ASB today, um, Puratos, who makes... Yes, Puratos. They're making sourdough powder. Yeah, authentic blends of high quality and, and deep flavors. It yeah. lends a really good flavor to yeah. our product, and I was... I didn't know they would be here today, so that was a very nice surprise, <laughs> and I was really glad to connect with them. One of his ex- executives actually said in the uh, audience, didn't he? Yes, yes. During our product defense, we had more than a couple people pipe up. Uh, one person to defend the virtue of true sourdough, and <laughs> another from Puratos to say, well, you know, but we can offer this product, and it'll create a more consistent product on the massive industrial baking scale. So yeah. that was... A very unique thing and I was glad to have sparked that debate. <laughs> so if somebody wants to produce this product, are you open to talking with them? Absolutely. Um, I, w- I would love to. How can they reach you? You can email me at colin.o.mccarthy at gmail.com. Okay, that's M-C-C-A-R-T-H-Y. Yes, yes Okay, it is. great. And taking a bird's eye view of this competition, what did you learn? I'm so much. I mean, this whole experience was all new to me. Just learning about all these different companies that I had no idea existed. And it was just a great experience overall. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I had worked in bakeries and restaurants before, and for a lot of these companies here, I was the guy using the end user for some of those products. Right. And 
jumping up to the next level to look at what makes this world one step above the retail bakery kind of you know what makes them tick and what sort of concerns they have and I used to know okay cross-contamination food safety basics like that but then developing a HACCP plan is the next step from that and developing scalability creating an entire process flow I had that in my head, you know, all along working as a baker, getting your mise en place ready, but doing that on a factory level was a massive step, and one that I had just the rawest amount of familiarity with, given that I've worked as a worker in some factories, and I've seen how they do very similar things to what I had done in a corner store bakery, how they do that on a massive scale, and learning to appreciate not only that, but also the concerns everybody in this industry have. There are some people who want to do what I'm doing in two and a half days. They want to do it in three hours. And there are yeah. some people who they want to do it as quickly as possible. And then there are some people who want to, they're more open to taking the time. And different ways to differentiate. We're all baking bread here or sweets, whatever. But different ways of differentiating that and creating a diverse, wide array of products for consumers. That's true. I mean, the commercialization bit is always challenging. You know, um, we forgot to talk about yourselves and your background. Dietrich, you are a food science student? Yeah, I am. Food science. I transferred into UMass. Previously, I was a biology student, and I was really interested in nutrition. Um, but I found out that food science existed, yeah. and it's a lot more interesting. And, and are more, you now yeah. a... a, a Freshman or junior? I'm a senior. Oh, yeah, you're a senior. Graduating. So you're graduating soon, huh? Yep, this yeah, looking for yeah. a job? Yep, yeah, looking All for right. a job. Well, good luck. And how about you, Colin? Well, I'm a sophomore over at UMass. Basically, I started working at restaurants when I was 14. I loved food my entire life basically it all kind of started when my mom would come home from work and wouldn't want to cook and she'd be like I'm making eggs for dinner and I'd be like no we're not I wish my son would do that son could you just cook more for me Uh, now I understand she was like you know I was a latchkey kid she was at work the whole day and didn't want to always make a whole meal but I learned to cook starting you know very young and then jumped into restaurants as soon as I could and was really lucky to have great mentors who went to the best cooking schools and learned a lot of classic French technique and didn't know what I wanted to do after high school thought about a lot of things was kind of lost for a bit and then I don't know literally a bakery opened up around the corner from my house and I interviewed, I knew some people they knew, I got in there and we helped build that from nothing really and started, you know, my hometown needs revitalization. It's kind of one of those stereotypical New England mill towns and Aww. I was really glad to be part of something that was making the downtown a nice place to hang out and, yeah. you know, especially with my love of food and bread. That's and awesome. That started, so I did that. I. But the bakery was great, but they had two pots and two spurners. And so I wanted to learn a little bit more about cooking. And also it was owner-operated, so it was hard to move up. So I jumped around, and I basically pushed myself to work for the best guy in town in every town and moved around more and more. I finally wound up at working with a chef who had some Michelin stars from Saison and uh, from April Bloomfield's restaurant in New York. And that was an amazing experience. He was trying to do all local sort of thing and worked with a lot of molecular gastronomy, hydrocolloids, all of it. And I learned so much and was allowed to do so much. But eventually, I feel like I hit upon a knowledge gap. He would know how to do certain things, but he was just borrowing somebody else's recipe and he wouldn't necessarily 
know where xanthan gum even comes from yeah. or what mm-hmm. sodium hexametaphosphate is going to do in a right. sodium alginate suspension, what the role of that will be. And I was honestly frustrated with this. And um, I had my own like ideas about using certain hydrocolloids and modified starches to create really unique food. And I struggled with it at times, and coincidentally, the restaurant was struggling. Like 50% of restaurants fail. And I got out of there and transitioned to a part-time job at a classic French bistro. was really glad to work there as well, but I had about half a biology degree and started adding more stuff onto that and moved up to Greenfield to go to their food science college program and then went to UMass to make it a whole bachelor's degree and I'm awesome they do research and I'm yeah. all that sort of thing two so more years hang in there <laughs> three, three I'll probably try for the master's oh but yeah I, I don't know I think this is a really good field to be in you know honestly it's, it's treated me very well so um good luck to you and good luck to you Colin nice. and Detroit all thank right, you. all the best. Well, thank you so much for having us. Thank you for coming thanks, on. Bakerpedia and everything you yourself. Thank you. Thank you. We have the Cal Poly team. Your product is Grain Shant. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations for being winners of the PDC at ASV. <laughs> so we have Brianna, Stephen, and Eric here. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Are you a you know sophomore or freshman you know junior at school, and what major you're in? Well, I'm a senior, I'm graduating in May, I'm majoring in food science and technology with an emphasis in science and technology. Great. This is Steven. I am also a senior graduating May from Cal Poly, and I am majoring in food science with an emphasis in science technology. Nice. And my name is Eric. I'm also a senior graduating in May. I'm a food science and technology major with an emphasis in colonology. So, who thought of this idea? I think we all, like, as a group, made a list of 100, and together we solidified one out of that hundred so we have like a team effort in creating the dish so that process itself is telling of how much work you put into this competition Mm -hmm. can you give our listeners an idea of what are the things that you prototyped okay so of the hundred we put it down to four actually and of the four it was our green grilled cheese and tomato soup flatbread it was a hummus and rosemary flatbread a cinnamon bun flatbread and then the last one was a beer naan oh that's so interesting yeah (laughs) yeah so tell our listeners what is grain shant so grain shant is basically the name of our company so do you want to actually go a little more into yeah um, our mission statement yeah sure so (laughs) our mission statement at grain shant is that we strive to create a world where healthy wholesome and delicious foods are available to all Um, We do that through passion, innovation, and integrity to forge a path, basically, between ancient grains and the modern diet. So basically, we're a company focused on using ancient grains to create foods for the future. Very neat. And the product that you submitted is? A grilled cheese and tomato soup-inspired flatbread, where the tomato soup is put into the dough part of the product, whereas the grilled cheese is more part of the filling of the product. Great. So there was a comment yesterday that says, well, it looks like a quesadilla. So how Mm -hmm. is that different from a quesadilla? So the biggest difference between the quesadilla and our product is um, 
we use an elevening agent in the dough so it's not flat it's actually fluffy and it's more like a bread unlike a quesadilla we infuse a tomato soup flavor within the actual dough and then aside of that we're not using any mexican influences of like asiago or asadero cheeses we're using all american and italian influences so we have parmesan cheddar sun-dried tomatoes in there and we also have fresh basil and other herbs so what is the biggest challenge in developing this product um i would say essentially the issue we had was with our leavening agent um, the first prototypes that we had were coming out really, really flat like a tortilla, but they also weren't cooking thoroughly. So they'd be fully cooked on the outside, but once you bite into it, the inside was very underdone. So we ended up having to just change our leavening agent from baking soda to um, yeast, and that seemed to work perfectly right away. But prior to doing that, we had to mess around with baking times, temperature, and what was the other thing? Oh, and the thickness of the dough was played around with as well. Right. How did you manage to put the grill marks onto the flatbread? So um, when we did it in the lab scale that we did it in with the individual flatbreads, uh, we actually purchased a grilling pan. Oh, so we okay. did different example, we did different times and temperatures, so on medium, high, low, and then we finally figured out 35 seconds at a medium high temp was perfect. We just oiled it up and then grilled them in. Great. Let's take a step back into the production of these mm -hmm. flatbreads. What is your process that you use to produce the flatbread? We get our ingredients, refrigerate the perishable ingredients. Some ingredients are sent off to the dough making process and some skip forward to the filling step. And um, the dough making process is started with fermenting the yeast with uh, sugar and water, letting it proof for 10 minutes. Then it's mixed up with the dough and um, the dough is formed, it's kneaded, it's proofed again for 30 minutes. It's sent to be extruded into dough balls where they're flattened into seven by seven pieces. And then half of them are sent off to the filling station where ingredients are dispensed onto the bottom piece, similar to a pizza. Then it meets back up with the top piece and the edges are sealed. Then it's ready to be baked. That's our first critical control point. Then it's sent off to be grilled, so to get those grill marks. After that, it's ready to be blast frozen. It's sent through a metal detector, and then it's packaged and then cold storage, or it's shipped and stored at freezing temperatures. Great. Mm -hmm. And at the customer level, when they uh, get this from the freezer, mm -hmm. how will they warm it up? There's two methods. You can use your conventional oven slash toaster oven, or you can use the microwave. The microwave is definitely the faster way to do it. It's about a minute and 20 seconds, whereas um, the oven, it takes around 12 to 14 minutes, but then it does create a better texture. It's a bit crunchier. Taking a bird's eye view of this particular project, what did you guys learn from this journey? From different aspects, I think one of the things we learned was um, teamwork something that we didn't even know each other coming into this competition. So I think we developed the relationship there. Um, we learned each other's strengths and weaknesses, and we worked off that. So that's how we assigned our roles. We knew who was good at the forms, who was good with the processing and so forth. Um, and then aside of that, we learned about the industry. So we learned how to bring a product from ideation to market shelf. So from everything in between, um, it was a tough process, but I think uh, I think we figured it out pretty well, so. Did you have any help? Yes, we had two other team members, but they were graduating. They graduated um, last 
fall, so Aww. they were mm -hmm. not able to join us. Um, they were already ready to dip right away. <laughs> they were done with school. They didn't mm -hmm. want to, you know. <laughs> now, how did you guys meet each other then? I mean, like, was it through a class? Or? Yes. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. so this was uh, proposed as an idea for a class. Yes. yes. So our advisor actually, um, we were formed as a group, and Brianna actually came on last. So oh. she just got popped into our group. We didn't really know each other, <laughs> and it just worked. It was, like, perfect. So, um this, Everyone had a contributing. This factor. is a great story yeah. like, to tell your entire, you know, yeah. school on, on how you guys did this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You guys won. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. very excited. Yeah. What's a grand prize? $2,000. Scholarships. Yeah. And scholarships. Along with a workshop that we can do through the baking industry. So we learn about bakery science. So that's awesome. going to be really fun too. Awesome. Would you do this again? Um, I think I would if I had time. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, we're graduating, so I think we're gonna have to step back from um, this type of thing until we mm -hmm. get that out of the way. Great. Does this um, open you up to opportunities in the baking industry? Definitely. We've had a lot of people come exchange business cards. Uh, Bimbo bakeries have talked to us. Mission Tortillas awesome. talked to us. Nice, so um, nice like work. I, I definitely think like we have opportunities out there because of this. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming and thank you for attending Baking Tech. It was wonderful to see you guys present. It was so professional. Thank, thank you, you very much. There you have it. After these interviews, I was so inspired by these students. I soaked up their energy and I have become so immensely excited for the baking industry in anticipation of these new ideas and new blood coming in. The common theme coming up from these teams is teamwork. Not only were they all able to work together as a cohesive team, they were also able to work through their diverse viewpoints to make their products work. These teams are so diverse. So, if you plan to enter next year's product development competition at Baking Tech 2020, remember this. They work in teams. They have team dynamics. They learn how to work well with others. They embrace new and diverse ideas and technologies. And they have fun. There you go. That's it for today. One more thing before we end. Please like, comment, and subscribe to Baked in Science. Till the next episode, bakers, bake it fun! <laughs>